I'm Joseph Lamena, Managing Director at AdvisorAnalyst.com. My special guest today is Sam Safe, founder and CEO of Purpose Investments. Recently, Purpose Investments, which manages a suite of ETFs, launched the world's first Bitcoin ETF and subsequently launched the Purpose Ether ETF. This has become a hot topic, so today we're going to pick Sam's brain about it. This is the Insight is Capital podcast. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast are those of the individual guests and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of AdvisorAnalyst.com or of our guests. This broadcast is meant to be for informational purposes only. Nothing discussed in this broadcast is intended to be considered as advice. Sam, welcome back to the show and congratulations. It's always a pleasure chatting with you. Great to be here, Joseph. Some American firms have been trying to launch Bitcoin ETFs in the U.S. for several years. Why is it so difficult to do this? And what exactly were regulators concerned about? So, look, I mean, I think that, um, you know, for the last number of years, I mean, Bitcoin and cryptocurrency in general has been a pretty hot topic. Um, and as you know, I mean, you go back to the 2017, 28 time for 18 time frame, you know, we saw a pretty big spike in prices and a lot of interest in the capital markets area. So, you know, Wall Street, Bay Street, everyone was focusing on it. And, you know, at that time, we saw a number of filings uh, in the ETF space come in, both in the U.S. and Canada. And at the time, I mean, you know, the the reality was that the regulators were facing two questions. They they were one was the concern of do they want to give people access to this asset class and effectively legitimize it, you know, and two is is the infrastructure you know effectively there today to allow for such a vehicle to exist. I mean, an ETF is a very important and elegant structure, but it has to actually make sense, you know, be efficient and be executable. And, you know, frankly, and I've said this before, is if, if they had allowed it back in 2017, 2018, either Canada or U.S., um, it would have been a, a failure, you know, mainly because of the second point, which was that the kind of structure uh, and infrastructure to support an ETF just wasn't there. There wasn't liquidity in the marketplace. It wasn't um, – there wasn't good market makers. There wasn't a uh, good institutional custody solutions. All those things just weren't there, and, and, and frankly, the, the regulators were right to, um, uh, to say no. But there's been a lot of progress that had been made over the last number of years, specifically on the infrastructure side, that you know really allowed for such a vehicle to now exist. And and when we came to the marketplace in Canada to really work with the regulators back in 2020, you know, starting to to talk, talk through and show them, you know, it took us about eight months of work with the regulators to to prove to them and show them that that made sense. Um, you know, we were able to you know overcome that and and make them understand that the infrastructure really was there and. You know, of course, on the first question, which was, should we give access then to people to this asset? I think that the Canadian regulators recognize that people are going to get access to it, whether they liked it or not. And, you know, if you're going to, you know, it would be better if they did it in a regulated form versus some of the unregulated activities that have happened, as you know, and could cause significant loss and risk. So I think they just decided that that was important. I will say that um, in the U.S., they're still debating this first question, which is, do they want to give access to it? Um, but the second question, I think we have proven to the U.S. marketplace that, that a liquid, efficient uh, use of an ETF structure is available for the Bitcoin and Ether, Ether spaces. One of the things I keep on asking myself is, how do I get myself involved in this particular market? What's the difference between how other issuers propose to do this and yours? Well, I, don't, I mean, I think there's been different forms of filing over the years. I mean, people have tried to overcome the regulator concerns uh, based on size and scale. And, you know, some people use futures, which, you know, is, is had been used before. Some, some products were launched in Europe. 
that were notes-based, uh, you know, kind of derivatives of products. Um, but ours were the very first um, physically, or and, and hard to say in digital world physically, but, but you know, where 100% of the exposure is actually owning Bitcoin. So the fund directly owns and custodies Bitcoin. And the same in the case of our Ether ETF is 100% backed by Ether. And that was the novel thing about what we did was, you know, we had to, you know, prove to the regulators that you could um, build a, a secure uh, and liquid custody solution. So, so in our case, we did it in a, what we call a cold wallet versus a hot wallet, which is an important differentiation from a risk perspective. And then second is that you were able to actually trade in a liquid way and, and track the underlying exposure efficiently with market makers and, and your daily trading. And so those are the key differences. And, and look, we, we, we spent a lot of time to prove that. And, and uh, we, we're very happy and pleased with the outcome of what we've done. And not only have we helped create a brand new asset category for the broad investor to access, but two is we've also proven a unique and new way for ETFs to basically be deployed into digital-based assets. How are you guys managing the transactional costs for trading in Bitcoin? Actually, you know, it's 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 interesting. We've built uh, a really strong going into the you know launch of the Bitcoin fund. We were anticipating that you see a pretty strong demand, and in fact, we were quite impressed and amazed by the size of the demand. I mean, the first couple of days, you know, we traded over seven hundred million in in um, in underlying uh, in the first uh, few days. So um, we had to make sure that we had done the work right, but also that we had to get our execution. So we has signed up many different market makers and also uh, execution partners. So there's, of course, the market makers who trade the ETF itself and make sure that the stock trades well. But two were the, um, the, the counterparties that we were going to execute our trading through, so directly trading in the Bitcoin security. And so, you know, we had to, uh, we had to line all this up and we lined up, you know, six, a substantial number of players, some of the best in the world, the biggest and the best in the world. But the second is that we also did it with, um, with scale. So we could execute, you know, up to 500 million US in a day if we needed to at any point. And, and in fact, we could do much more than that on the first day. And so, you know, that was critical. The second was getting in at extremely um, competitive pricing. So we put our bidding of pricing against all of our market participants and we take the best pricing effectively. So we ensure the lowest cost of execution. And that's been a very powerful component of this. You know, I think that there's nobody in the industry that's done what we've done in terms of the size and scale of execution in such a short period of time. And I think that's the, the most important thing is to have that capability. And it goes back to, you know, look, we've been in this business for a number of years. I launched Ether Capital back in 2018 because we had a deep thesis in the space. And back then you couldn't do, as I said, an ETF, but we launched a corporation. And so we've been custodying and directly involved in the securities for a long time and, and have got a lot of insight and knowledge of how to basically execute it properly. Is there an advantage to buying the ETF versus buying Bitcoin directly? Well, look, I mean, just like any security or any asset, you, you can always buy it directly or you can buy an exchange rate of fund or a mutual fund. Um, and in this case, it's a little bit different, though. So, so first off, um, if you look at before the Bitcoin ETF launch or the Ether ETF launched, you know, the only way you could access Bitcoin or Ether was to go and either open up an exchange account. So, you, you know, now most of the exchanges other than in Canada, well, simple are unregulated. Um, so that's another question, you, you know, even in Coinbase and all the other players, you have to go and you work within the unregulated space. And that's always a little concerning. But two is then you're either going to custody that there uh, or you're going to, you know, have your own 
cold wallet or you know or your ledger or whatever it be and you're going to put the the bitcoin on that and there's always risk in the cost of you know uh, you know are you going to remember the password we've seen all these horror stories of that so that was the clunkiness of the past you couldn't buy it in your regular account at rbc or at td or at questrade or well simple whatever it be today with the bitcoin etf you can now buy it just like you can in any other account but also like any security so you can buy it in your TFSA, your RSP, you can buy it in your um, regular accounts, uh, you can trade it like a stock, um, but you don't also have to worry about this concern of risk of unregulated exchanges. You don't have to worry about the risk of um, you know, losing your, your password on your ledger. It's just such a simple institutional uh, vehicle. And then lastly is execution pricing. So you know, one of the problems is, as you know, Coinbase has just gone public and you start to see the profits that these exchanges have been making on the spreads of executing Bitcoin or Ether or any of these uh, securities. And the reality is, is that um, for investors, uh, they were paying a big spread. They were paying a lot of money. With the ETF, the beauty of it is the cost of execution is institutional. So we don't pay those spreads or anything like it, even close to it. So it's been a really nice uh, solution and an efficient solution for investors. How well can investors expect the ETF to track the underlying? I mean, it should track exactly the underlying Bitcoin, less its management fee, just like every other ETF. And we've actually been really, really impressed with the early tracking in the first couple of months. Uh, we're coming up on three months of execution, and it's just been amazing to see the underlying execution exactly in line uh, during the day, intraday, with the volatility of the underlying. And so, you know, th that should be what we've done. Again, we've proven that the elegance of the ETF structure can work within the context of, uh, of a digital asset like Bitcoin and Ether. So what's your outlook for Bitcoin? You know, it's a good question. And, and you made a comment about, you know, you're intrigued by this. You're trying to learn and you're trying to, you know, um, uh, you know, figure out how to get involved. I mean, look, Bitcoin is a really powerful and interesting, uh, you know, innovation. Um, a lot of people are confused about it. Um, and, and even people who are involved in it are confused about it. Today, what Bitcoin is, is an amazing software platform that has ultimately proven that it's undestroyable. And that there are, will be, because of the coding of it, um, a, a limited number of Bitcoins ever produced. So effectively, you know, its utility is a store of value. Because just like gold and anything else, it's got a very specific set of characters, characteristics to it. It's not going to be a great value uh, exchanger for, for uh, payments. So all this concept of, oh, it's a bad payment solution. It is. It is a bad payment. It's a very linear model. But I, I continue to believe that you have a known supply function and you're going to have an increasing demand function. And those are really nice metrics for price uh, approval. So I, I continue to believe that Bitcoin over the next number of years will continue to be a very attractive space and we'll see price appreciation. But again, lots of volatility, much less volatility than those who've been around the space for the last number of years. Because of course, as this thing continues to get greater acceptance, the, the uh, volatility has shown to continuously decline. On Ether, we have a very different view. I mean, Ether has high utility. To me, it's the computing platform of the future. So it's, you know, the next decade of computing power, you know, after mobile will ultimately be blockchain and, and Ethereum. And we believe that, you know, Ether, uh, the token that ultimately sits and owns a piece of each of the platform is one of the most powerful, unique technologies of its time. It's, it's, it's going to change the way that um, 
businesses and, and society are structured in many ways. And so we have a much more aggressive view on Bit uh, on Ether's price uh, appreciation. And, you know, we think that over the next year that we could see Ether, you know, crossing over $10,000. And so, you know, we're excited. But again, lots of volatility, lots of still uh, areas to be, on, you know, to be figured out and a lot of things to be determined around scaling and, and such on Ether specifically. But I think the, the next 10 years uh, of, of this space is going to be a very powerful one. For our audience's perspective, I think it'd be nice if you can just touch on how does it work and has it become fairly easy to buy Bitcoin directly? Well, you know, for the individual investor today now, because of the ETFs, it's very easy. I mean, like I said, it's just as easy as trading um, your S&P 500 ETF or buying RBC shares. It's just as easy. So that's the beauty of it. And that's the innovation that we brought. And that will open up um, increased awareness and demand for the assets. I think for um, execution as an individual or as a as a institution, it has it's amazing that the expansion of volume and and capability to expand uh, trading in this space. And so we've seen huge growth in the futures market. We don't trade in futures, but but for futures for those who do. And then on top of that, we've seen significant number of brokers and dealers that ultimately now are linked to be able to execute direct in Bitcoin and in ether so so you know whereas again a year or even a year ago it was very hard you had a very specific number of specialists now you're seeing broad execution capabilities by some of the biggest you know brokerage firms in the world and so that's a very powerful thing but but you know we we execute all of our transactions through um you know call it uh, over-the-counter trans uh, exchanges uh, around the world so these would be institutional grade over-the-counter exchanges places like coinbase and and, and gemini and places like that and then um, we basically will uh, execute those transactions and then we'll settle them in our custody account at, uh, you know, our custodian. So, you know, those are the, the key elements, but there's lots of different players, but you got to make sure you're dealing with institutional grade players. And, you know, the one thing that's really unique about digital assets is that they settle instantaneously. So unlike regular securities that they settle on a T plus one or T plus three basis, like, you know, when you buy a stock or a bond in, in this case, uh, they settle the minute that you buy it and, Second later, you, you you now own it, and so you better have the cash. So it's a very different execution model too. And of course, one of the novel things that we had to do was find uh, make sure that we were you know in a liquid daily security that was settling on a T plus one. We actually moved our ETFs to settle on a T plus one basis. Um, that you are also executing a, a instantaneous settlement of a security. So these are really interesting and important things. But for most people, that that um, isn't normal um, for for you know individuals. How do Bitcoin and Ethereum fit into portfolios and what's a useful position size or allocation to consider? Yeah, no, it's a great question. We get that question a lot. And, and my answer for Bitcoin and Ether are different, actually. So first and foremost, I do believe that investors broadly should have access to digital assets and, you know, within their portfolios. And, you know, I think it's long-term bets that you want to make in your portfolios because, you know, like other technology or innovations in your portfolio, you always want to have small uh, sizing exposure. Um, so Bitcoin, you know, I look at it as, uh, you know, something that individuals should have somewhere between half a percent to one and a half percent of the portfolio max in it. It's, it's an, that's the average investor. You know, that's the kind of thing that you want to have as a bet against lots of different variables. It's got a very unique long-term kind of upside on uh, supply and demand fundamentals, but also, you know, who knows what's going to happen with central bank action, all the inflation fears. I, I, I don't know how this is. It's too young to know how it's going to react to inflationary uh, react, uh, impacts, but I do know that Demand's going up. That's the one thing I know. So that's the that's the first one. On Ether, I look at it as slightly different. I look at it as really um, how much would I size into a portfolio on a long-term bet like Amazon back in the early 90s or late 90s. And that's what I sort of see. It's a, it's a platform. It's a technology kind of utility. 
and it has an unbelievable upside, but it has lots of variability. It's like a venture bet. So would I put one and a half or two and a half percent of my portfolio into that type of long-term play? Yeah, I probably would, but that's probably a similar, what I would do in a single stock sizing in my portfolio. So I'd probably cap it like that, you know, having one and a half or 2% of my portfolio in a single company wouldn't bother me if it, you know, lost money or whatever be At the same time, the upside of participation is a very powerful thing. So that's the way I look at it. And I think it's a really interesting thing. And, and, but investors should treat them as two very different, even though they get coined together as, uh, you know, pun intended, they're coined together as cryptocurrencies. Um, they are in fact, very much different. They are, they are tokens. They are exposures to two very different concepts. They were based on the original blockchain technologies, but what Bitcoin did was innovate it. And what Ethereum did was uh, 10X it. And, and I think that they're very different long-term bets. Uh, one will be very much non-utility supply and demand based. One will be highly utility, um, you know, demand function based on, uh, you know, applications and, and business opportunities. Of the two, Bitcoin and Ethereum, which one are you more excited about long-term? Uh, you know, I've got a pretty public bet on Ether. Uh, you know, I, I've had a long exposure. I, you know, when I first got involved in the space in 2017, uh, you know, my, my, it was Ether that really blew my mind uh, as to its opportunity. Um, and if I've been, you know, personally invested, involved in it for a long time since and, and gone through the ups and downs of it and, you know, participating in both of the, the goods and the, and, and the difficult moments in 2019 and 2020. And then of course, what we've seen most recently, but I just think that, you know, when I, what I really focus on is what's happening at the developer level at the, at the core of the infrastructure. And it's been amazing to watch and my kind of view of the future of what technology and what business will look like, it, it continues to expand because of what Ethereum is doing. Tom, it's always a pleasure speaking with you. I'd like to take this time to thank you once again for making time for us. Stay well, my friend. Thanks, Joseph. And it's a real pleasure to be here and uh, happy to answer questions anytime.